thinking about what to share because anytime you know, God, most of the time when he's moving in your life, he's just saying, trust me for the next thing, right? Trust me for the next thing. If anybody gets the whole picture, let me know because I want to start getting discipled by you. But I usually get the next step. That's all I get, you know. And so this morning, I was just God, what do you want me to share? What do you want me to share? What do you want me to share? And I just was praying and got, he pointed me to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6 and 8. And as we were sitting here singing, I just got overwhelmed because what we're singing about is the same song I feel like the Israelites would have sang about in the wilderness. There's a sea. Oh, our God's a waymaker. He can part the Red Sea. Oh, there's, there's, there's arguments and disagreements and division. Our God's a miracle worker, a waymaker. He's going to make a way in the wilderness, right? And uh, this morning, uh, there's just so just some things in my heart that I just wanted to share. But before that, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, The Lord our God has spoke to us in Horeb. This is Moses. He says, You have stayed at this mountain long enough. He, moves, he goes on and says, resume your journey and go to the hill country. He goes on and gives them instructions of where to go. And they're moving towards the promised land. The Lord said, I have set the land before you. Enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what I know is this morning, there's people in this room that love the Lord. There's people in this room that are following Jesus wholeheartedly, but there's also people in this room that are following the Lord, that love Jesus, but have been stuck in a place for a very long time. You may have been stuck at the mountain of Horeb for a very long time, waiting for the same experience that you had at salvation to happen again in the same place that it was before. But God says, pick up your stuff and get on the journey that I've set you on. He's saying, move on to the, to the next step of what God is calling you to do. And this morning, I don't know where you're at personally. I know some of you, but I don't know all of you. But one thing I know this morning is God does not want you to stay at the same mountain where you found him. He wants you to continue to follow him. The next step, the next place, the next person that you're called to reach. Because what I know is that a call to salvation is a call to be on mission for God. And so you're not called to wait on a call. God has called you at salvation. And so this morning, if you're in Christ and you're not on his mission, then the Bible tells us that we're being disobedient. But I realize sometimes it doesn't feel like disobedience. It feels like just, I just don't know what to do because the enemy lies to you and tells you you should be doing this or doing that or doing this. But God has given clear instructions to love God, to love people, and to follow him. This morning, I want to give you, I don't want to talk. I want to give you a, a chance to respond. These people, I'm going to ask them to kind of spread out in the front. If there's things in your life, God, I want you to respond. If there's things going on in your life where you just need prayer, this doesn't have to do with sin, maybe. Maybe you've just been stuck because your job has got you down, but you know you're called to move on. Maybe you're sick. James 5 says, if you're sick, come before the elders and be, elders and be anointed with oil and be healed. That's what the Bible says. That's just in the Word. I don't know where you're at this morning. If, if you're going through a marriage struggle or a financial struggle or just, just emotionally, you're unhealthy. I'm not sure where you're at this morning, but I just pray that you could use these next few minutes and, and just pray. The temptation is going to be, I'm going to just pray in my seat, Pastor. That's fine if that's what God's calling you to do, but if God is calling you to move, to come receive prayer, to come kneel at this altar and just hold your hands in the air and say, God, I have not treated you like the God that you are. I've come before you and want your salvation, but I've not treated you like my Lord. I've come before you and I, I've followed you a little bit, God, but I'm kind of stuck in this moment right now and I don't know how to get out. God, I need help. One of the greatest things you can do is to admit that to someone. I've been stuck in this place for a very long time and I need help getting out. These men and women at this altar would love to pray with you and would love to walk with you 
and we, we as a church would love to see that type of honesty happening in this church. We're called to live in the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. And just like God told the Israelites, I've set the land before you. Enter and take possession of it. And through your salvation, God has set something before you. It's a promise. It's an inheritance. And I, I, we, a few guys went to a, a workshop this week. One of the things we learned, if you're an heir to the inheritance of salvation, you're also an inheritance, you're an, you're an heir of the inheritance of the purpose. You don't just get the, you don't just get the inheritance, you get the purpose of that. And my heart today is that you would walk in that. So this morning, let's pray together. And as I pray, don't wait for me to say amen. This is not about Mike or anybody else up here. This is about you and the Lord. Come meet one of these guys and say, hey man, I, need, I just need some prayer because of this. I have this going on. I'm, I'm sick. My body's not right. My, my mind is just, it's just, it's just wrapped up in this, or I'm just struggling. I'm having a hard time emotionally. I, I just, I, I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. I'm struggling with sin. Lay it down on the altar and let it be done. But don't leave here without getting something right this morning. Because what I know is we've done some things recently. We're trying to kind of gauge where we're at as a church. And I was going to wait to share with you for a few weeks later, but I want to share now. We kind of took a survey of where everybody was. It was anonymous. I don't know who's who. But what I do know is 50% of the people that took the survey said they've been in the same place for a very long time. My heart today is that that would change in this moment. That you would leave here with being the same way. Because what I know is we're not just called to meet on a Sunday and a Wednesday for Connector. We're called to meet together, to celebrate, and to walk out these doors with the power of the Holy Spirit moving out of our hands and our feet and our mouths, declaring the praises of Him who is good and great. So this morning, I want to pray for you, and as I pray, you come. Let's get things right this morning. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. You are the God of all creation. God, we don't want to, we don't want to follow a God that we create. We don't want to follow a God that we have, we have created in our minds. We don't want to create follow a God that we have that calls to, to be just something that we can understand, God. We want to follow a God that, 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 that delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, God. We want, to, we want to follow the God that delivered David out of the hands of Goliath, God. We want to follow the God that has, has healed so many people, God. We want to follow the God of all creation who, is, who has given us an inheritance that can never spoil, that can never fade. God has kept in heaven for us, God, for all eternity. God, I pray this morning that this body of believers would make a turn would take a sharp turn in the, in the lordship of who you are, God. God, we would stop playing games with our faith and being satisfied with a couple of weekly meetings, God, that we would live every moment of every day, God, in your presence, God, submitted and surrendered to your will and your way. God, I pray that our mission will be your heart. Your mission will be our mission, God. God, I pray that your heart will be in us. God, I pray that we wouldn't just waste our time just going through the motions, God, of our jobs and our, our days, God, and our families. I pray that we would live on purpose, God, intentionally moving, God, in a way of, of you. God, that we just sang the song, God, you're the way maker, the miracle worker, God. That's who you are. And I pray this morning that's how we would treat you. Not as some God on the shelf, God, but a living, moving, powerful God that is meant to change lives and to us in the direction of your heart, God, for the nations, your heart for the world, that your name would be made famous on every continent, every square inch of this planet, Father. Father, I pray that your name would be made famous this morning. God, we would not be satisfied with giving your glory to anyone else, Father. God, you're a jealous God. You're jealous for your glory. I pray that we would give it to you this morning. I pray, Father, there's a person in this room that is glued to their seats, God, because of 
the oppressiveness on their life. I pray that you would break that right now in Jesus' name, that they would just come undone in your presence, Father. God, I pray for your kingdom to come in this place as it is in heaven, God. I pray that, that we would live a kingdom mentality, Father, that we would not be satisfied with just going through the motions of church. God, have your way in this moment, God. Move us out of the way. Move us out of the way, Father. We love you. I pray for freedom in this house. I pray for chains to be broken. I pray for sin to be broken. I pray for the chains of bondage to be broken. I pray for the emotional sickness that happens in relationships to be broken. I pray for the baggage that people bring into their lives to be broken in Jesus' name this morning. God, we love you. We praise you. This in your name.
future too, God. And I pray that you lead us in your word, that you lead us in your mercy, God, and that we do everything for you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Man, what a God, right? Good. I love moments like this morning. I just pray that we would be able to sit in those moments with the Lord, not just here, but in our private times with God. That God would just continue to show himself to us because God's been good to this church, <laughs> right? God's been good to this church in so many ways, and I pray that, guys, we would see that for what it is. And so um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning. And what I want to show you and share from the beginning is those types of worship moments don't stop whenever we open the Bible. They continue, right, because we're reading the words of God. And so if you have your Bibles, can you just hold it just like this? Did you have your Bibles this morning? Like anytime you open this book, anytime you read the words on its page, there's a chance for God to change your life. Because if you believe this from front to back, which I do, and as a church, we affirm that these words are perfect. This, they're valuable. They're, they're, there's, there's nothing more perfect than Scripture. Our heart is that you would see this morning, no matter where we're at in this book, God has the power to change your life through the power of the Holy Spirit through his word. And so this morning, let's think about that as we jump in. And so I just want to kind of summarize, if you're here for the first time this morning, welcome. You have come on the last week of a 16-week series. Um, it's lasted a, long, long, a little bit longer than that because we've had some breaks, but, um, but we're going through 1 Corinthians, and Paul's teaching strategy through Corinthians has been that the gospel is the answer to everything in our life. The gospel is the answer for salvation. The gospel is the answer for divisions in the church. The gospel is the answer for marriage struggles. The gospel is the answer to financial woes. The gospel is the answer to people coming against the church. The gospel is the answer to all things in your life, going deeper into the gospel. It's not going outside of the gospel. It's going deeper into the gospel. And so this morning, that has to be the framework from which we started and where we're going and what we're going to do this morning. So I'm not sure where you're at this morning. I pray that the Lord provided some breakthrough in your heart this morning. But if it, he hasn't, what I want to tell you, the way to find that is going deeper into the gospel and seeing the face and the heart of Christ in that. And so this morning, what I want to do is kind of last week, we, kind of, we saw that the, the, the Corinthian church, they were teaching that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't that important. Um, what he taught and how he lived was the most important things. And so what Paul was doing, Paul said, no, 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 uh, the resurrection is of first importance is what he said. It's, a, it's most important. Paul said, if there's no resurrection, then not even Christ rose. And if Christ didn't raise, then, then your faith is worthless, Right. And so, and you're still in your sin and you're separated from God. So we can't, so we can't separate the resurrection from the gospel. So remember that as we go. And I don't think we necessarily have a problem with that, but maybe we have some issues with the resurrection of our bodies at the end of time, whenever God comes back and sets up his kingdom and we see his name um, in the place it should be. And so if you have your Bibles and uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 16. And so today we're going to look at the conclusion of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And so what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 16, as Paul is going to conclude this letter to the Corinthians, but he's not finished with the Corinthians because we know he has another book or another letter that he's going to write to them, but it's very obvious by how he concludes this book that that's true. 
what he's doing is he's preparing them to go deeper into the mission of God, going deeper into God's heart for the world to see his name made famous further and further and further away from where Paul originated. And so what he's doing is he's clarifying these issues in the church from 1 to 15 on unity, on, on theology, on order in the church, on gifts and, and all these things. And we see that he did all of this to position the Corinthians for the work that God had for them as a church. You see that? He's doing all of these things so they can do what God has called them to do. And that's what he's doing for us, too, as we read this book. I don't know where you're at, but I do know that whatever God is working on in your life, he's doing it so you can be a part of his mission more free from the things of this world. And so everything Paul wrote in, in 1 Corinthians was a preparation for the mission, making disciples of all nations, planting churches where they weren't. And we have the same mission, Connection Church. We have the same calling. And so as we think about that, let's pray and get into our heart into this chapter. So God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your presence here this morning. God, moving in this place, moving in our hearts, I pray that your word would go forth boldly. Father, I pray that you would use the speaker. God, that you would hide me behind your word. God, that you would increase, I would decrease. God, that your word would be lifted high this morning. God, and we would listen to it. We would use it to form our lives, God, and we would submit to you as you convict us. And I pray that we would respond. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning I want to do a little bit of an experiment, right? Um, it doesn't really require anything of you, just your thoughts, okay? So kind of hone in for a second. So if you knew that your next words that you spoke, right, were going to be your last words that you'd ever speak to your husband, to your wife, to your child, to your parents, to your friends, to your classmates, etc., you would choose them very carefully, right? You would, you would be, uh, what am I going to say? Uh, it's got to be important, right? Well, well my, my, my thought for you this morning, kind of rhetorically, think about this for a second. What would they be? If you were looking at your son, your daughter, your friend, your mom, your dad, your wife, your husband, and you knew this is the last thing I'm going to say to you for the, forever, what would you say? What would be the thing that you would say to them? You know, surely it would be something very significant, <laughs> Right? Surely it would be something that they, you would want them to remember. Think about it, man. Like you'd want, you wouldn't want to waste your words on something that didn't matter. You would say something that would have meaning. And that's why it's so important that we pay attention to last words in the Bible. When you look at 1 Corinthians 16, that's what you're seeing. When you look at Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, we, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then we see Jesus ascending into heaven. And it's a huge moment for everybody involved, including Jesus. And, and can you imagine just watching Jesus, who had just died, who had, who had resurrected, who had appeared to 512 people. He's rising into the sky, and he's returning to the Father. What an experience that must have been for people who are following Christ, right? But Jesus, knowing that the, the importance of that moment, the apostles probably had no idea what was going on. All the laws of science and, and physics and all these things were being blown away like, you know, what is happening? I've never seen anyone fly. I've never seen anyone, I've never seen anyone rise from the dead. I've never seen anyone. Think about what's happening. And so Jesus, he knew the importance of that moment. He chose to say something very strategic in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, and you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you hear that? This is not a, this is not a command, right? This is not him saying, hey, hey, Chris, you, you're, you're going to receive power, so you go. That's not what he's saying. He's not doing that. What he's doing is he's giving a, a prophetic word to them. He says, you are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes on you, and you will be my witnesses into the far reaches of the world. 
He's not saying like the people who choose to follow me, the people who choose to make disciples over here, those people are going to go, these people are going to stay. No, my true followers, how you will know them is they will be powerful in the word and they will go. That's what he's saying. He's giving a prophetic word to his people. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And there were lots of things that Jesus could have said to these guys, but he chose to remind us of our role on earth to make disciples of all nations. Right? Make disciples of all nations. And he chose this as a, the very last thing that he was going to say before returning to heaven. And then we shouldn't we pay attention to these words? Yes, we should. Clearly, the call to spread the gospel to the nations, God's glory, is vital to the mission that we have, and we must take action to fulfill that call. Or we're not living for God. We're doing something else entirely. And this morning, we have to come to face-to-face with that. One thing I've learned lately, and I've said it earlier, is that a call to salvation is a call to missions. A call to salvation is a call to missions. Like whenever I've been, whenever I've become saved, I have a this, I have this Holy Spirit living inside of me as a deposit for 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 my salvation. What that means is I have come out of being on mission for Michael, and now I'm on mission for Jesus. Right? I'm on mission for Him now. Okay? I'm using my life. The Spirit, the power of Acts chapter one verse eight is living inside of me to do what He's called me to do because I can't do it in my own power. Right? Um, and we try to do that as a church a lot of time. We try to white knuckle our sins. We try to white knuckle ministry. We try to white knuckle our calling so many times, and we end up falling flat on our face. But when we're doing it in His power, it's beautiful. And my heart would be that we would submit to that today to understand that I'm not waiting on a call to go. I've been called to go. It just looks different for every person. Some people are called to stay. Some people are called to equip. Some people are called to pray. Some people are called to work at a job and give and see people go. Some people, it's different for every person. But collectively, we're called to go. And my heart today is that that that's what we would see, and that's what Paul is setting these people up for in chapter 16. Paul has finished his address on the issues in the church, and he's writing his last words before the letter is sealed and delivered, and everything Paul wrote was to regain their focus. Hey, over here, right? Who's got some ADHD going on this morning, right? You got, hey, over here, look, Corinthians, right here. You, you're, you're divided over Apollos and Peter and, and Jesus and me. Like, that's not what it's, okay, over here. Come here, come back to the, come back to the center. Come back to the mission, right? You're divided on, on divorce and marriage. You're divided on all these things. Like, what? Come, hey, over here, come on, come back. This is the mission. It's very simple. Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He put his spirit inside of you. Now he lives in you. Now he wants you to go. Come back over here. Come on. This is what should, should it permeate every other thing that you're dealing with. If you were living here, there'll be no divisions. If you're living here, your marriage, it's to be hard, right? But it would be easier because the Holy Spirit is guiding you. If you're over here, you're not dealing with the selfishness of your gifts and trying to look at me. What you're doing is you're trying to live on mission for God. So let's dive in. Let's dive in. Because what I want you to see is God wanted the Israelites, or the, excuse me, the, the Corinthians, he wanted them to be jealous for God's glory in Corinth, because Corinth was a place of idol worship. And the idols that they were worshiping, they should have looked at that and been jealous for God's glory. No, no glory should be given to that idol. Glory goes to God. Yeah. And that's the, that's the goal this morning. So let's dive into this seemingly unimportant chapter um, of 1 Corinthians. And, and what I want you to do is I was tempted this week, oh, we just need to skip over this because there's not a lot here. It's an ending chapter. Nobody's going to get anything from it. And God was like, Michael, Come back over here. Come back over here. So, so, okay, got it. And so we have to be careful in thinking that any chapter in the Bible 
as unimportant or pointless. There, there's not one word in this Bible, I don't care where you're at, that, has, that doesn't have the power to change you and transform you. And if we're not careful, we can look at sections of Scripture like this as just a bunch of boring logistical details, right? But let's not allow our minds to do that this morning. Let's, let's, let's come back over here, okay? I'm going to do that all sermon for the ADHD guys, okay? So let's look. So remember, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. What does that say? What's the first two words? All Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And what could be very helpful for us is to let the normal day-to-day nature of this chapter us, remind us that the, the Bible is God's word giving to us through real people going through real circumstances in their life. People just like us in circumstances very much like ours. And that will help us as we try to glean wisdom from this. And so if we're not careful, what happens if you're reading the Bible in Acts and First and Second Corinthians and Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians, and all these books of the Bible that Paul wrote, it looks like Paul's life went from from just from another miracle to another miracle to another miracle to another miracle, adventure after adventure, bam, 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 bam. But we don't read about the 14 years that he was in one place just learning. We don't read about the three years that he was in one place just pouring into the church. Can you imagine being somewhere three years just pouring into a church that didn't want to follow Jesus? It's like, those are hard moments. Take it from me. I'm telling you, it's hard to walk down those roads, and there's, there's some monotony that has to happen. But in reality, Paul's life was mostly full of normal, tedious days. It was full of walking a lot. It was full of riding on the very small boats, days in prison, days of working on tents. Paul's a tent maker. And we need to be careful that we don't read the Bible as one kind of real and look at our life as another kind. Do you see that? We don't want to look at our life as, oh, this is, I wish I could live up to this. Whenever you're looking at this highlight reel of Scripture, which that's what it is, it's great. Our hearts is that we would see this for what it is. And I think that's why God put these types of chapters in the Bible. And I think, guys, if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're not careful, the reason we get so worried about the future, anybody worry about the future? Listen, I got one person participating this morning. <laughs> okay, two people. It's the reason why we get so worried about the future, anybody anxious, struggle with anxiety in this place? Okay, yeah, we all do. Anybody have struggle with insecurity in their life? Yeah. Anybody that's worried about the future, anxious about everything, or insecure, and I think it's sometimes we're so tempted and prone to study some news feeds rather than to live what our Bibles teach us to live. I think that's what it is with me. If I'm dug into social media, if I'm, if I'm evaluating my life to Patrick's life, I'm like, man, I, I need to step up my game. Look, at, I, need, I need to do this better, and I think it's important that we need to understand that that's not how God's called us to live. God has called us to live in submission to him through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of his word, and let our lives match what's written in this book. And if we're a church that's committed to that, guys, we'd be unstoppable for the kingdom. So let's commit to that today. Can we do that? I'm in. All right, cool. Patrick's in. So the fact that there's a 16, a chapter 16, and not just a poetic chapter 13 about love or a futuristic chapter 15 about the resurrection from the dead, the fact that there's a chapter 16, it encourages me. Makes me excited. So let's jump into verses one through four. If you have your Bible, I hope you do. We're going to just jump into this. And it says this Now, about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is, is to set something aside. He's talking about money. And save in keeping with how much he is prospering 
so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those who you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, then they will travel with me. So Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem was going through a couple of famines. There was a lot of problems. There was issues. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But I don't want to get too drug into that right now. But there were some issues in the Jerusalem church. Corinthian, the Corinthians were Gentiles. And so you see, the church was very divided between the Gentiles and the Jews. There were some struggles in there. We're going to see where they kind of start coming together today to form one church. One church, one shepherd, right? So... In this chapter, Paul is calling the church based on all that I've written, all that he's written through chapters 1 through 15, be good stewards in three areas. Be good stewards in three areas. Based on all these chapters, be good stewards in three areas. And as they refocus on the mission of God, remember, come back over here, refocus. The first one is be good stewards of money. Be good stewards of money. We say this all the time in this room, and I I know money gets kind of tiresome in churches sometimes, but I pray the Holy Spirit would open your ears this morning that that is not our heart. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. Okay? Let me tell you, God doesn't bless you. God doesn't bless me with more resources so that I and you can increase our standard of living. God blesses you and increases your resources so that you, us, as a church, can increase our standard of giving. That's the heart in the church. This is what he means in verse 2. You look back at verse 2. On the first day of the week, each one of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering. Keeping with how he is prospering. This means the more I make, the more I should give. Right? Y'all are like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. How can I get out of here? Right? No. Listen, that, but this is Scripture. We can't take portions of Scripture that we like and leave out the ones that we don't. We can't do that. And remember, giving, listen, giving is always a heart issue and never a money issue. In the Bible, anytime God talks about money, he's never actually talking about your money. He's talking about your heart because he knows our heart is very wrapped up in what our possessions are, right? It is for me. We're Americans. It's hard to see past that sometimes. But more money, let me tell you this, more money doesn't make you more generous, Okay? You can't say, I'm, I'll be more generous when I start making more money, when I get that full-time job, whenever I make, get, a, whenever I get more uh, status at work. What, money, what more money does, more money just makes you more of what you already are. You see that? It, it just makes you more of what you are. If you're greedy, more money's going to make you more greedy. right? If you're generous, more money's going to make you more generous, and it's going it's to increase your level of generosity, which is why if you want to be generous when you have more, you must learn to be generous when you have less. And so he's showing you right here, he's saying about the collection to the Jerusalem church. And so what I love, a great pastor uh, from, from the, you know, years back, Adrian Rogers, some of you may know him, he said, God doesn't need us to give him our money. He owns everything. Our giving is God's way to grow Christians. He wants to grow us. If you don't believe me, let's look at some scripture. I don't, I'm not, I'm some, 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 uh, some stats. In the Bible, there, there are roughly 200 verses on the subject of prayer. Right? Prayer is important. Can we admit that? It's important. There's roughly 250 verses on faith. Can we agree that faith is important to our faith, right? Well, when it comes to how we steward our resources, there's over 2,000 verses. 2,000 verses when it comes to how we steward our resources. Um, of the 38 parables dealing with in the Bible, there's 16 that deal with money. 16 out of 38. 25% of Jesus' teachings deal with financial matters. So if you come to Connection Church Savannah, I promise you, 
If I preached one out of every four messages on money, there would not be many people here this morning, right? But like, nah, but Jesus did that. That's what he was doing. But why did Jesus do that? Jesus didn't talk about money because he needed money. Paul instructed the Corinthians to give because God couldn't. He didn't, he didn't instruct the Corinthians to give because God couldn't supernaturally materialize the, the church in Jerusalem's needs. God could have just been like, here's all the things you need. Go. Here's just, just, here's just, just like, here it is. It's here. No, that's not what he did. He taught about money because he knew what we do with our resources or how we think about our resources is the greatest indicator to where our heart truly lies. This morning, please hear this with the heart that is being given. It's love. And my heart is for you to be free from that trap. Listen, Jesus, this is the biggest point I can make on money. Jesus taught on generosity, not to get money out of your pockets. He taught on it to get idols out of your heart. Okay? That's, that's the biggest lesson that I can learn from money, man. He, he did not teach on money to get money out of your pockets. He taught on money to get the idolatry out of your heart. And this morning, that has to be our heart as we look at the church. But what Paul knew, Paul knew this, and he knew what a blessing it would be for the whole church in Jerusalem and in Corinth, for the Gentile churches to give help, to help sustain the church in Jerusalem. So a little context, I told you a moment ago, um, the church in Jerusalem, it was suffering from a few different things. There were, there were two severe famines. Um, the church in Jerusalem was made up of Christians with Jewish background. And because of that and their commitment to follow Christ, their income took a hit, right? I'm not sure if you know much about that culture, but it's common for other places in the world, or even right now, for people who come to Christ in cultures where the prevailing worldview is not Christian, to suffer. Anybody know that? Um, it's in the Soviet Union, the people in the, in the Communist Party became followers of Christ. They would lose their jobs. They would find it hard to find another job but just because of them being Christians. Uh, today, it's in the same places in mo- many Muslim countries. There's a lot of truth to this today in Muslim countries across the world. When they come to Christ, it's common to be severely beaten or mutilated or tortured or shunned or even killed by your own family just for coming to Christ. It makes us feel more blessed to be here this morning, right? Do we take it for granted is the question. This morning, Brittany's baptism in some countries would have been a death sentence for her. Think about that for a second. This morning in some countries, we would have to hide in a bathroom and baptize her in a, in a bathtub or hide in a room or sneak around the back of certain places to, just to be obedient to the things that God's called us to do. Do we take the church for granted? We do. This morning, I'm telling you, count the cost. Luke 14 is a great chapter. Count the cost to following Christ. Guys, this is also true in places that are largely atheistic. This is coming to our country. I'm telling you right now. So Paul is asking these non-Jewish believers, these non-Jewish Gentile believers in Corinth to collect money for their Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. This is a great picture of the local church thinking globally, right? This was 1,300 miles away from their city. This was 1,300 miles away. In that day, that's a, that's a long ways away. It would take you a long time to walk 1,300 miles, right? They're thinking globally, the, the big C church. They're thinking, oh, I've heard from Paul that our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are in need. What makes sense to us is that we would make a collection to send to our brothers and sisters so they can sustain the ministry in Jerusalem. That's the heart of the church. So this is one of the places in the Scripture where we see the model for how the local church and the global church interact. 
And that's our heart as a church, to be a global church. Let's keep reading verse 5. We're done. We're done with money. You can breathe. Verse 5, I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia. And perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't, want you to, I don't want to see you now just in passing since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry has opened to me. Yet many oppose me. So we're going to get to that last verse, but I want to focus on the whole passage really quick. The next thing that we're called to be good stewards of is our time. We're called to be good stewards of our time. We're called to be good stewards of our money. We're called to be good stewards of our time. Time is our most precious resource that we have in life. Do you know that? Some of you who are older this morning, I'm not calling you old. I'm getting older. Like The older I get, the more I realize how much time is worth. What's really important is time, right? Because think about it. You can never earn more time. You can never make more time. You can never get any more time back once you waste it, right? For the Christian living on mission, for the person making disciples, thinking missionally, the person coming to the church trying to be a uniter in, a, in creating maturity in the body, being a good steward of your time is critical. It's critical. That's why one of the greatest weapons, the greatest traps that the enemy puts before many Christians is the yes trap, right? The yes trap. We say yes to everything because it's good. God said, that. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do this. I'm doing all these things. Before long, I can't hold it up anymore, right? Because I've kind of walked out of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm doing my own thing. I've, I've gone out in front of him, right? We, I struggle with saying yes. We all do at times in our life. It's a trap. It's hard for a Christian to be most useful for the mission if he's, he or she says yes to everything, right? And as the, as the great theologian Gandalf said, right? All we have, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that's been given to us. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that has been given to us. He's not a theologian. I'm just joking. He's a movie character for those of you that know what I'm talking about. So here's the thing about time. Here's the thing about time. Time is free. Time is free, but it's priceless, right? You can't own it, but you can use it, right? You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once you've lost it, you never get it back. Listen to Tal do it again. Time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once you've lost it, you'll never get it back. We're called to be good stewards with our time. Paul was being a good steward with his time. He said, I want to come to you, but I can't come yet. I need to go to Macedonia. God's called me there. I need to be obedient to what he's called me to do. But when I do come to you, I'm going to do this. And, do, and it's, it's all going to work out. So Paul's original plan was going to travel from Ephesus to Macedonia, then down to Corinth to visit this church. Well, God changed these plans. And, that, that, and that's not important for today's message, but he never makes it like he thought he was. He goes to a, he goes to a different place. But what I want you to notice in verse 8 and 9 is, and this is so important. He says, I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. Paul says no to a good thing so that he can say yes to a strategic thing. Do you see that? He says no to a good thing so that he can say yes to a strategic thing to see the church edified, to see the church built up in the places that it needs to be edified and built up. 
That's what you see. He's, he's being a good steward of his time. He says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door of effective ministry has opened for me, yet some oppose me. A wide door for effective ministry, yet some oppose me. Context on Paul's persecution in Ephesus. You, can, you don't have to look there, but write down Acts 19. We see Paul in Ephesus. He's, he's going in and preaching the gospel, and, and these silversmiths who make these, these goddesses of Artemis, they're making these idols to worship the, the false god Artemis, who was probably a demon in that time period, being worshiped. And all these people were coming to Christ, and it was, it was causing the temple to start losing patrons. It was causing people to start losing money because people were turning from their sin and turning to Christ. And so a great riot broke out in Ephesus. Paul got beat. The Bible says in Acts chapter 19 that everybody thought he was dead, right? And so they took him outside of the city. The, the apostles prayed over him, and, and he was fine. Little little mini miracle there, right? And that, those moments, so Paul says this, and a little side note, what does he do? The apostle says, hey, we got to get out of here, man. You just, got, you just got beat up, like, bad. And what's he do? He stands up and goes back in the city. Like, what? This don't make sense, Paul. I, I don't know if I'm going to follow this guy, right? This guy's crazy. I'm, I'm, you're going back into the place where you just got beat up. And Paul says these two things are tied together. A wide door for effective ministry and those who oppose me. A great door for effective ministry and many who oppose me. And I think those two things are closely tied together. You look in the parts of the world where most of the revivals are happening right now, where the largest church in, in the world right now is, is being led by women in Iran. You see the largest places in China where the largest growth is happening in China and, and North Korea. What do you see? It comes along with those wide doors of opportunity. Massive persecution. Where the Lord is moving, the enemy is moving. My question is how many times have we seen massive persecution around us. And if God's, if we're not allowing God to move in and through us, maybe we're quenching what he's trying to do in this place. My heart today is that we would let go of the rope and let go of the boat and the shore and say, God, whatever you want, whatever you want it to be, whatever revival that you want to start in my life, God, I'm not allowing my preferences and my likes and dislikes and how I think church should be to, to put out your fire anymore. My heart would be today is that's how we would live as a church. Religion has come in and destroyed the church. In other places, what you see is demonic forces of darkness coming in and, and persecuting. You see false god like Artemis. You see those still today in, in Hinduism and Buddhism and all these other places that you see worshiping false gods. Today, we worship the god of religion in America. It's the same person behind all of those false gods, Satan and his demons. And my heart today is that we'll be awake to that and realize that and walk out of that. Let's do that as a church. Might get some emails for that one. That's okay. In page at Connection Desk Savannah. That's what it is. Listen, the church always grows under persecution. The church always grows under persecution and it dies under complacency. It always grows under persecution and opposition and it always dies under complacency. I just don't want to go to church today. Just not that. Is it, do we really got to meet? You know, COVID kind of changed the way the church is supposed to work. You know, all those things, that's not true, right? I don't, I don't really want to go to connect group tonight. It's just not convenient for me and my schedule. I'm not, I don't really want to pray for this person. I know, God, you're probably calling me to because I, it's, just, it's just not what I do. It's not my gift. That's my favorite thing that the church says. It's not my gift. My, I'm like, okay. So let's, it always dies under complacency. Complacency will kill the church. My heart will be that every person in this room will be red hot with the Holy Spirit working in their life. 
that the Holy Spirit would cause you to drop the, 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 just the religion that, that the enemy tries to tempt you with. Show me a church under persecution, I'll show you a growing on fire church. Show me a complacent church where you have to beg people to follow Jesus and I'll show you a declining church without influence. The door that opens in the opposition concept that Paul is talking about in his ministry, it'll often be the case for us as we follow Christ. It'll often be the case. And if we tend to think differently, though, don't we? We think things are going well. God must be in this, right? God is, God is for us. God is good. Hallelujah. There's, it's easy to follow Jesus. This must mean we've had a lot of favor with the Lord. That's how we think sometimes. Things are, well, things are not going well. We've got some walls of, 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 to get through. What's wrong? What am I missing? What am I doing wrong? We've got to change pastors, change worship leaders. We've got to change connect group leaders. Something's wrong because there's opposition. That's not what the Bible says. Paul's perspective is things are going really well, a lot of good ministry, and things are really challenging, and there's lots of opposition. Paul's like, I got to stay here. A lot of us would be like, I got to pop, smoke, and leave because this ain't good. I don't, this is making me uncomfortable, right? No, stay and push in. But Paul didn't seem to confuse, to be confused or surprised by this. And you know, why do you think we often are? as a church, as people in America, because I think we operate under the semi-Christian worldview that's fastly, rapidly approaching the post-Christian era. And I think as a church, we're called to look past this, but look, we're, we operate under a semi-Christian worldview. When I say semi, what I mean <coughs> is we do believe God is involved in the world, right? We do believe that. We believe that he's engaged in the details of our lives, but we also tend to believe that if we do the right things, then only things we deem favorable will happen to us. It's just the way we see the church operate. You may not admit that, but it's just the way we live. If things aren't going what we would call good, then either we or God are doing something wrong. And that's that semi-Christian worldview that the American church has kind of put on us. Let me tell you, the fully Christian worldview is expressed by Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Be courageous, I have conquered the world. So if Jesus is saying, I've told you these things so you can have what? Peace. Peace in the middle of a storm. Peace in the middle of persecution. Peace, so much peace in a jail cell that you fell asleep and an angel has to wake you up. So much peace in a jail cell that you... Have to, you should sing songs of worship and praise and just convert the, convert the people that are there. Put, you know, to live as Christ and die as gang, whatever. Put me in this and I don't care. I'll, I'll just convert the guards. You want to you be converted? I'll tell you about Jesus. I don't care what you do to me. It don't matter. It doesn't matter I have peace because Jesus has given me peace no matter what I face. If, if there was nothing to be afraid of, there was no persecution coming your way for following Christ, why would Jesus say, be courageous? Why would you need courage if there was not going to be something to be courageous for? My heart is that we would see that we have to be good stewards of our time so that we can see that we are walking with Christ. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, read verse 10 to 12. says, if Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while he's with you because he's doing the Lord's work just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me because I am expecting him with the brothers. Now about other brothers, Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers and he was not at all willing to come now. That's fine. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. 
And so as I read this, if you didn't have context into some of these verses, this might seem kind of weird, right? If you don't have context, if you don't... So what, 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 would, what would Timothy possibly have to fear? Hey, man, thanks, man. You, you want to say, say something? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what would Timothy have to fear? What would he possibly have to fear? Now, you think about this. Why does Paul feel the need to tell the church at Corinth not to mistreat them? I, you know, it's because Paul knew these people were crazy. But we just read 15 chapters of some crazy junk that was happening in Corinth. There's a lot of stuff happening. Like, he says, Paul felt the need to say, hey, don't, don't mistreat, don't mistreat Timothy, please. Look, at the entirety of these books, these people were rowdy, they were rough, and Paul knew Timothy. Paul knew Timothy. And so he told the church in Corinth, hey, take care of Timothy, treat him right, you know, respect him, don't be weird, be like Christ, love Timothy, please. Uh, and then he told Timothy, hey, step up, don't be afraid, they're all right, they're good. We taught, right? Look how Paul instructs Timothy in other places in the books that he wrote him. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. He was telling him this so that he can lead with boldness. 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. But Timothy, in this moment, this was sort of like a combat deployment for him. Because, but Timothy must for the good of others, not give in to his own insecurity. But we need to find our security in Christ and Christ alone and not let insecurity come in and defeat us before we get started. Verse 13, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Brothers and sisters, and you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted <clears throat> to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus present because these men have made up for the, your absence, and they, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. The church of Asia sends you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their homes. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So right now, turn to your neighbor. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So verse 13 and 14 are, are, we're going to come back to those in a moment. That's how we're going to end the service. But we just, what I want you to see in this is that what the third thing and the last thing that Paul is calling us to be good stewards of is people. Be good stewards of money. Be good stewards of time. Be good stewards of people is what he's showing you. And we're going to come back to verse 13 and 14. But we just saw Paul's relationship with Timothy and Apollos. But we, we can really tell Paul's heart for people like Timothy and Apollos and Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus. I'm glad we don't have names like this. Aquila and Priscilla. Listen, Stephanus and his, Stephanus and his family, they were the first converts in the, in the region of Achaia where Corinth was. And they were among those who assumed responsibility for the general welfare of the church because they had a heart for serving. And what happened was Paul recognized their position as ordained by God and urged others to submit to them also. He's got, God has placed these people here for a reason. And a huge qualification for church leadership today is a willingness to serve. A willingness to serve. A huge qualification to be a member of the body, a functioning member of the body, is a willingness to to serve. And Paul said to the church to submit to the leadership of people like Stephanus who have labored for the church. And then you look at Aquila and Priscilla. They're mentioned here. It's, it's incredible how useful this couple was for the church. 
We see them helping with the church plant in Ephesus. We see them in Corinth helping Paul. We see them helping in the church of Rome. We see them helping Paul wherever he goes. They helped disciple Timothy in his early age. They were tent makers who lived with Paul in certain times. They had followed Paul to Ephesus and they had made their home available for small group meetings and church meetings. Paul mentions Aquila and Priscilla because they, they would know they would know and be known by many Christians in this church in Corinth. And so Paul is, is trying to reset the culture by celebrating the right kinds of people. He's trying to reset the culture in the church by saying, hey, remember, come on, this is it, the gospel. Follow Jesus and do what he says. Don't, don't be distracted by your own personal affairs and your own personal ideas and preferences. Come back to center. Come follow me. Come follow Christ. And Paul is pointing out that these people as worthy of imitation and celebration and these believers who were known for their service of others. And what I love is we need to remember that culture is set by what is communicated, demonstrated, and celebrated by the leaders. And as we we look in this, what Paul is doing by, by, by recognizing these men and saying, hey, follow these guys, Paul is communicating that serving is he's demonstrating this in his teaching and how he lives sacrificially before the Corinth Corinthians. It's such a hard word to say, guys. And now he's holding up as being worthy of celebration in the lives of these people. Hey, look at these people. They're, they're, they're following Jesus. You follow them. Submit to them. Follow, do what they're doing. Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, but to what? Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And what was cool in Corinth and it's still cool in America, uh, the goal is to become a person who doesn't have to serve. Like the goal is to become, to use whatever excuse necessary to kind of back away from serving and kind of, get, kind of be served. Make, make enough money, attain a certain position, et cetera, et cetera, because success is reaching the place where others serve you, right? And it's kind of a hard teaching, right? But Jesus said that in his kingdom, the greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest among you will be your servant. And it turns out to enjoy life as servants is how God designed us. To try to live any other way is a life outside of our design parameters. To live any other way. And after Paul finishes with all these final greetings, he stops dictating for a second. He grabs the pen and says, give me that pen. He says, I'm gonna write this in my own hand. He writes a couple of things in his own hand in verse 21. He says, this greeting is in my own hand. I, Paul, I feel like he's getting very passionate at this moment. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him, our Lord come. That's intense, guys. <laughs> Pretty funny. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. And I want to end by looking at verse 13 and 14 again, which summarizes this. Is, um, if we, the band wants to come back, you can. It's verse 13 and 14 is what we're going to be looking at. It says, be alert, stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Some translations say, act like men. Be strong. Do everything in love. So I want to point this out for you this morning. Every verb here is a present imperative. I have no idea what that meant until I studied it, okay? For all you teachers, I'm sorry. But if you don't know what that means, go ask the teacher. Meredith will teach you. Present imperative. That means he's speaking in an ongoing state. An ongoing state, not just a momentary attitude. Keep on doing these things. Keep on doing these things. The first thing, be alert, which means be watchful. 
This, this was often used of watching for the return of Christ. Keep looking for Christ. Jesus used this same phrase three times in the Gospels to live continually with the end in mind. Whatever you're doing now should be lived with a filter that one day Jesus is going to break over in the sky and come back for his church. That's how we should be living. And that's the heart. He says, be alert, be watchful. Live with every moment like a guard on watch, looking for Christ, living as if there is an end. So many of us live like there's not, there's, we're never going to die. So many of us live like we're just going to have this infinite amount of time until we're hit by disease or death, and we're just like, what? This is not supposed to happen. Next thing you see, he says, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in, your, in the faith. He says, stand firm in the faith. And I, what I want you to see in this, it doesn't say your faith. It doesn't say your faith. It says stand firm in what? The faith. And what I want you to see is that the, the faith is the truth that are found in the gospel, the stability of a life that's lived by the truth of the gospel versus their feelings was clearly absent for the Corinthians. They were all over the place. The end of this life is not the end of life. I want you to know that this morning. Every person in this room was created to be an eternal person. And you will be an eternal person in one place or the other. In heaven, in all eternity, at peace with God, or in hell, separated from God himself. He's saying, stand firm in your faith. Paul just said this in verse 58 of the previous chapter. He said, because of the resurrection, there's a historical fact that Jesus is one day coming back. Be steadfast. Be immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And we're, called, we're not called to have faith in our faith. We're not called to have faith in our faith. Faith, what happens then, it then becomes how we feel. If you live on your feelings, I feel confident, I feel courageous, I don't feel confident, I don't feel courageous. Faith becomes the equivalent of my mood, right? And for you moody people in here, that's the issue, Right? Like, listen, the, the faith becomes equivalent to our mood when we start living on our feelings. The faith is the fact of the gospels that we stand firm in regardless of our current emotions. The next thing, be men of courage. A better translation is act like men. This is not saying, women, you just do your thing. Men, you act like men. This is not, this is not neglecting women. Paul's letter was clearly addressed to men and to women. Grow up is what he's saying. Act like mature Christians. Act like mature believers. Stop being divided and getting your feelings hurt at every little thing. Stop worried about the things that are frivolous in this world. Look to Christ and follow him and love your brother and your sister and love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, be strong. This is a better translation of allow yourself to be strengthened. 10 out of 10 people in this room struggle with pride in some form or fashion. Allow yourself to be strengthened. This is not just a man up and have grit. Paul is encouraging the church to find their strength in Christ and not themselves. Anybody ever tried to find their inner strength? That's not, it's never enough, is it? It's never enough. I need Christ to strengthen me. So this literally means go be strong in God's strength. Go be strong in God's strength, not your own. And then the fifth and the last thing he says is do everything in love. And so after hearing man up, Grow up, be strong. Many would conclude that doing this, be aggressive, be self-assertive, take charge. That's not what this is saying. This is not kick your door down strength, even though there may be a time for that. This is strength and maturity that's shown best in love. And so if a door needs to be kicked down, 
It's to serve others who need your strength, not to show off your strength. You see that? When I was younger, I was impressed by unbridled strength. How much can you bench press? How fast can you run? How fast is that car? What, what, when I, as I've gotten older and I've seen, I, 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 I'm completely unimpressed with aggressive, self-assertive power of self and pride. Now it looks like weakness and foolishness and immaturity. And I don't act as often as I should with the strength of love in my own life, but I'm always drawn to it, right? We're always drawn to that. And I think about how Christ was on the cross as we close, like, with all the power in the universe to speak one word and destroy the entire Roman army. Instead, he allows himself to be killed in naked weakness and humiliation. Paul had learned to exalt in, delight in his own weaknesses because he learned to enjoy God's power so much. God's power is made perfect in my weakness. When he says, do everything in love, He's communicating that love is the culture of the Christian life. If you're doing something, have said something, or acting any other way, you're living in sin, and God has called us to repent and make it right with a brother and sister and come into a place of love with a brother and sister and let this be what identifies us as a church. And listen, love is not just something that we do. It's the new reality that we live in as the church. That's what we're seeing here. In the church, we're called to correct in love, be strong in love, encourage in love, admonish in love. This is the aim of maturity of everything we do in love. But I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to embrace my weaknesses. Anybody like to admit they're weak? No, it's hard. Dude, you're a bigger person than me. It's hard. But the fact is, guys, we are weak. We are weak. It doesn't take much to hurt us or to kill us. And it's shocking how fast health and strength can fade. But what Paul has shown us is that we have an opportunity to embrace what is eternal and powerful right now. We can live chasing Christ and not illusions that many around us are pursuing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, in the next book, he writes to the Corinthians, says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God has given us, you and me, the same command that he, had, they, he gave Corinth to make disciples of all peoples. This morning, church, how are we doing? How are we doing with being on mission? Like Corinth, have we allowed division or preference or sin or rebelliousness move us off mission? Because here's what I know. A lot of Christians treat, a lot of Christians treat coming to a relationship with God this way. Say I were to buy your house. And you said, here, Michael, here's the keys to my house. And I go in and I move in. And I get up in the morning, I'm making my coffee, and there you are sitting at my table. And you just never have moved out. You just kept staying in the house that I bought from you, right? Well, Second Corinthians would go on to say that you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. So many times that we give ownership of our lives to God, but we still try to take control. My heart this morning is Christians... If you're in this place and you've been struggling with, with giving him all the control and, and not taking it back, I pray this morning that we would get that right. 
that we wouldn't allow that to, to be any other way. But this morning, if you're in this place and you're not a Christian, you know, hey, I play games a lot with my, my faith. I haven't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus because I haven't put my faith in Christ. I have faith in myself and my money and my job. And I have faith in the things that I do and the things that I, that, the way that I, I, I live. And I think if I'm a good person, I'll, I'll be saved. But I want to tell you this morning, that's the biggest lie of the enemy. You can never be good enough to get to heaven. You can never be good enough to get into God's presence. You need an advocate. You need an atoning sacrifice, which was given to you by Jesus. My heart today is that if you're not saved in this place, that you would leave here saved, redeemed with the inheritance of salvation running through your body. That God would give you new life in Christ. This morning, if that's you, you know who you are because the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you right now. And if, that, if that's what's happening, what usually is a, an example of what's going on is your heart may be beating fast. God, you just may be feeling like there's a pressure on you right now. That's called conviction. And it's not bad. You're not about to have a heart attack. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you to, to, to move. So this morning, if you know that you're not a Christian, you know that the things that Paul is writing about was not to you. You know that you've turned to your own way and you, you're still the ruler of your life. You haven't given your life to Christ. You've just been telling people and trying to act like you have. If you know that's you, I pray that you would come out of the dark and into the light of Jesus this morning. Because what we, what we know in Scripture is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God has given us the free gifts of salvation through Jesus who came to live the perfect life, died on the cross that you and I owed. He rose from the dead, defeating death, and is going to return one day for his church. This morning, if that's you, if you say, hey, I want to give my life to Christ, I've been holding on to the keys for far too long. If that's you, will you do something really bold and just raise your hand and let me pray with you and let us pray with you? Is there somebody in this house today? Okay. All right. For the rest of us, as we go into a time of worship, y'all, use this time to pray. Use this time to come before the Lord. Say, God, less less of me and more of you, Father. I get in the way because we do. So let me pray for you. And as I pray, you come and let's, let's sing together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. We honor you. We rejoice because you're good, Father. You've, you've given us new life in Christ. God, I thank you for a house full of Christians. And I pray that you would just work in this house and you would encourage us to, to continue. You would give us the strength to continue doing your work. God, that you would open up doors and avenues, Father, and roads to do more ministry, more, more be more missional in how we live and how we do church. God, we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.